On February 8th, 2023, what began as a routine student body Wednesday morning Asbury University Chapel service turned into a multi-week outpouring that some have described as a revival. Led by students, the service attracted college students from hundreds of other colleges and universities beginning as soon as that Wednesday evening. My guest, Dr. Mark Elliott, has taught at Asbury University and joins us to talk about the recent outpouring revival at Asbury University. Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. I'm Dennis Weens, your host, Senior Impact Catalyst at Sat7 USA. Would you be willing to help? Please leave the podcast a comment on how that episode topic was helpful to you. Then share the episode with your friends. You might also consider subscribing to the podcast so you do not miss an episode. Thank you in advance for your help. My guest is Dr. Mark Elliott, who has taught at Asbury University in Kentucky, has taught at Wheaton College in Illinois, Sanford University in Alabama, and Southern Wesleyan University in South Carolina. In addition to teaching, Dr. Elliott has held administrative posts for 19 years as director of the Institute for East-West Christian Studies, Wheaton College, and as director of the Global Center at Beeson Divinity School, Samford University. He is author of numerous books and editor emeritus of the East-West Church and Ministry Report, which he edited for 25 years. Dr. Elliott, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Good to be with you. You know, this is an interesting topic, and um, there's been a lot of news articles about it, but to have you on the Unconventional Ministry podcast to share with us is really a privilege, so thank you for taking time. It was the longest-running revival in Asbury University history, started with a routine chapel service February 8th. You have taught at the university, and you were there in 1970 when another revival took place, and now you've written a book about it. I'm intrigued by the title, Taken by Surprise, A Deep Dive into the Asbury University Revival. What took the world by surprise, or what took the Christian world by surprise? Well, it was a twofold surprise. Asbury was surprised, but then the nation and to some extent the world was surprised. Um, Every revival of consequence involves, of course, repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation, but we don't often think of the fact that many times revivals of consequence are not scheduled events. They're the work of the Holy Spirit in ways that we can't necessarily predict. Of course, in Acts, we we know that the Spirit blows where it will, and so it seemed like surprise fit for the title, both for the aspect of the Asbury community and those many thousands who came to Wilmore also surprised. I watched that chapel service. It seemed pretty ordinary. What was it about that chapel service, February 8th, or what was it about the the spiritual message that gripped the students who responded to it? Well, it's it's very interesting that the chapel speaker himself, um, Zach Meerkrebs, has said that he didn't himself think that he did an exceptional job that day. He actually downplayed his own role, which I think is commendable in its own way. Um, It was on Romans 12, the urging of Paul that we consider the commands of Christ to love one another. That was the theme, which is is a wonderful topic, but um, 
the pastor, or excuse me, the sermon speaker that morning didn't feel like he did a particularly strong job. It, it really began with students lingering after chapel, maybe a couple of dozen students, uh, some uh, praying in their seats, some coming to the altar to pray. And then there were a few members of the gospel choir who lingered as well and continued to sing. And by early afternoon, the chapel was at 10 to 11. And by early afternoon or late afternoon, there were several hundred students who had returned to the chapel. And by the evening, uh, perhaps 500 students. And then in the next couple of days, it just snowballed thousands of people. And before it was over in 16 days, tens of thousands of people were making their way to Hughes Auditorium on the campus and to overflow venues that were opened up at Asbury Seminary and in some local churches. So we were taken by surprise, that's for sure. You know, you were part of the faculty back in the 70s when there was another revival. Uh, as you think about that one 50 years ago and this one now, did that one prepare for this one, or how do you put that into perspective? Well, there has been a tradition, I suppose you could say, of spontaneous outpourings of the Holy Spirit on Asbury's campus. The first recorded one was 1905, in which, incidentally, the famous evangelist and missionary E. Stanley Jones was deeply impacted. Uh, and there have been other revivals of note. 1950 was a powerful revival, again, spontaneous, not uh, regularly scheduled, in which uh, Robert Coleman, the famous writer of the Master Plan of Evangelism, was deeply moved. Uh, in, in reference to 1970, that was the longest lived and the largest revival until 2023. And I wasn't on the faculty at the time. In fact, I was in my first year of graduate work at the University of Kentucky nearby. And I learned of the 1970 revival in a curious kind of way. I was in the main library at the University of Kentucky, and I overheard two anthropology students talking and saying, there's something weird going on in Wilmore. We're going to go check it out. So that's how I heard something was going on at Asbury. And I drove down Saturday morning sat on the back row in Hughes Auditorium, and I heard some students who I knew from my own college days. I just had graduated a few months prior, and these were students I knew who were not following the Lord, and they were giving very powerful testimonies of the work of the Spirit. So that's when I knew something real and genuine was happening back in the 1970 revival. So now we've had this revival in uh, February 2023, and you've written a book about it. What motivated you to write this uh, new book? Well, the revival was such a blessing to me and such a blessing to so many people that I knew that I really felt a strong urge to share it as much as I could by gathering evidence and testimonies and interview information putting it together so that people who weren't privileged to be a part in person of the revival could uh, nevertheless be blessed by it. That, that's, that's really what my hope is 
for this uh, for this book. So you've been a college professor at Wheaton College and Sanford University and here at Asbury University. Do you see similar things, not to this scale, but uh, similar movements of students in spiritual renewal at some of these other universities? You know, I was privileged uh, to be on the faculty at Wheaton College in 1995 when a spontaneous revival broke out there. And uh, having seen firsthand some of the evidence of the 1970 revival at Asbury, I immediately was drawing comparisons. And uh, there were a number of features that were similar. Both were student-generated rather than top-down from faculty or administration. Both were spontaneous. Um, There was a natural tendency to spread. That is, students from Wheaton and students from Asbury were going out and sharing word of revival with churches and, and other venues. In both cases, there were prevailing prayers prior to the revivals, people seeking this outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, So there were any number of comparisons, but um, one feature that was definitely unique from my perspective was the impact of social media on the 2023 revival this past February. Uh, I could share a bit more about that if if, uh, if you like. Sure, our podcast listeners would be very interested how social media uh, contributed to the spread, for sure, of this uh, revival, as well as people sharing their personal stories on their own social media, impacting their friends across the country, around the world. It really began the first day. One way that the news of something special occurring in Hughes Auditorium after chapel came through texting. Students were texting their friends. Um, After a few hours, faculty and administrators are texting family members and friends. There were students from the University of Kentucky 30 minutes away and other nearby Bluegrass campus students coming into Wilmore even on that first day. And then it just uh, exploded. I think it's fair to say that this spiritual outpouring at Asbury in February of 2023 may have been the first spiritual renewal that was spread by means of social media. Let me just share a few statistics. Let me back up and say that much of this information comes not only from the communications office of the university, but by a professor in the School of Communications who actually was teaching a course on social media this past February. I had an hour-long interview with her, and then she checked my information so to make sure I got it right. So let me just give you a couple of statistics that just blew me away. The top five Asbury Revival YouTube videos not authorized by the university, by the way. These were clandestine YouTube videos at first. Anyway, um, there was a February viewership of over 6 million on those top five Asbury Revival videos, and there were many others as well. Um, The Asbury University Facebook page for the period of the revival was over 15 million reach. And then the most 
mind-boggling statistic for me was the TikTok phenomenon. The hashtag Asbury Revival generated 10 million views on February the 9th. That's one day after the revival broke out. And by April 6th, there were over 240 million TikTok views, figures that I have trouble comprehending, but they're documented. Right, and it spreads so fast. And when you, once you get into the social media, there's no geographical boundaries anymore. It's instantaneous information. Well, that's right. And that's what helps explain, uh, to just share a few other statistics, there were at least 40 states represented in the 16 days of revival. There were at least 40 countries represented. And there were at least 279 colleges and universities that had students at one time or another, those 16 days, worshiping at Asbury. In addition to all that social media that was being spread, there were a lot of news outlets camping out on campus or trying to get the campus to record. I'd be very interested in your perspective on secular news outlets that were coming to Asbury University to report something they fundamentally didn't understand? Well, that's that's a very good question, and I'll just tick off a few that I can recall offhand. Time Magazine, uh, the New York Times did two articles, uh, the Washington Post, uh, The Economist from Europe uh, did an article. Most of them were either bewildered or sympathetic. Um, most of these secular outlets were not hostile. Uh, oddly enough, to the extent that there was uh, negative critique, it came mostly from YouTube and from people in various religious quarters who doubted that this was a real work of the Spirit. Uh, that's another topic which we can tackle if you like, but back to the reaction of um, secular media. I'll just share one, to my mind, heartwarming story. Um, the interviewer or the reporter from the Washington Post who came to campus, by the way, many of the hostile critiques of the revival were primarily by people who didn't come to the campus, which I think is an interesting commentary. But back to this Washington Post reporter, she interviewed a couple from Columbus, Ohio. It's an African-American couple who have a co-pastorate of a church in Columbus. They came by car with three children. Uh, they were in Hughes Auditorium for many hours. Some students helped to babysit the young children, in effect. And um, this couple from Columbus, Ohio, we're sharing with the Washington Post reporter, here we were, a black couple in a town with very few African-American citizens in Wilmore, and we were offered housing in private home overnight, just as if we were long-lost friends. So the, there are two miracles. There's the miracle of the public worship and and transformation in Hughes Auditorium and the other venues, but there's also a second and just as powerful miracle, in my opinion, by the way the community protected and provisioned and 
showed hospitality. There are so many stories of people taking in pilgrims from afar. Uh, just to give you one example, Betty Krause is a retired missionary from South Korea. And over the 16 days, she hosted 35 people in her home, not all the same night, but that's just an indication. Uh, Mark Whitworth, vice president of athletics and communications, in my interview with him, said uh, one night he got, got home about midnight and there were nine people spending the night two of whom he knew. His wife had offered housing for pilgrims to the revival. You know, and if you'd be able to talk to everybody that hosted people, that'd be quite, quite a book in itself to just tell those hospitality stories of generosity that people reached out and were impacted by the revival, but impacted by the hospitality aspect and stewarding resources to these people coming. So that's a great story in itself. Well, how can our podcast listeners uh, find out more about your book? Well, Seedbed Publishing from Franklin, Tennessee, is publishing the book. My understanding is that they have a pre-order form on their website, which is seedbed.com. And that would be the way to access the book. It's supposed to be released within the next couple of weeks. I don't know the exact date. So I encourage our podcast listeners to get Dr. Elliott's uh, new book, uh, Taken by Surprise, that talks about the Asbury University revival that took place. And uh, Dr. Elliott, you're also uh, well known for your work in modern Eastern and Russian history. You started um, the East-West Church Ministry Report uh, you've been the editor of that for over 25 years. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your interest in uh, modern Eastern and Russian history. Well, my field is European and Russian history. That's the area in which I did my doctoral work. And I've always combined, as best I could, research and ministry. And um, the Lord has given me a number of opportunities to be involved in ministry in the former Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, um, teaching, uh, consulting with seminaries on their educational program. My wife and I were involved with hosting summer camps for Russian orphans in several different locations in Russia, which we loved. We have four children adopted from abroad, so that was very much part of our heart. And uh, I just feel blessed. You know, if we think about ourselves and our own needs, we're bound to be unhappy. But if we take the Lord's advice and help others, that's where true joy comes. That's certainly Amen. been our experience. And I think that's the experience of Christians down through the ages. It's when we lose ourselves in helping others that we find ourselves. So that's been my experience in ministry in that part of the world. Now, to the East-West Church and Ministry Report, I was at a meeting at a hotel near O'Hare Airport in Chicago. About 50 or 60 ministry leaders involved in some type of outreach, missionary work in the former Soviet Union. And people said there needs to be some clearinghouse of information on who's doing what, where in terms of kingdom work. And Peter Kuzmich, a theologian from Eastern Europe and also president of a seminary, without asking me ahead of time, he says, I think Mark Elliott ought to do that. And uh, 
I was taken by surprise myself at that point. After the meeting, Billy Melvin came up to me. At the time, he was the uh, executive director of the National Association of Evangelicals. And he said to me, Mark, I think I know a foundation or two that might help you launch this publication. So that transpired. I had funding for the first couple of years to launch that publication. And uh, as I moved from school to school, the report moved with me and it was a great blessing. It was a lot of work, of course, but uh, it was a great blessing. And what I tried to do was bring together the worlds of academia and the worlds of ministry. And by the way, they don't always sympathize with each other, but my heart was to use research that could bless ministry and then findings of ministry that could inform better research. So that's the the dual track that I was on. So I encourage our podcast listeners to check out eastwestreport.org. You're the editor emeritus, so by that I assume somebody else has taken your place and continues your great work of 25 years to continue to bring together the academic world and the ministry world together and uh, share resources. So again, eastwestreport.org. And also for Taken by Surprise, check out uh, Seedbed Publishing, and I'm sure it'll be on Amazon as well here in a short period of time. So uh, Dr. Elliott, this has been fascinating to listen to you talk about your perceptions of what happened and to bring perspective for the podcast listeners. We really appreciate you joining us on the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Well, thank you for the opportunity. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7 as a broadcast media ministry is changing how ministry is done. Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at SAT number seven USA.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you.